Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, today we're going to look at Romans 8, verses 17 and 18, Suffering and Glory, part 2. Our focus will be on present suffering. Everyone suffers, especially Christians. We suffer due to our own sin, we suffer due to the sins of others, and we suffer because we identify as followers of Christ. And suffering for Christians leads to glory. Suffering leads to glory. If you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read two verses, Romans 8, verses 17 and 18. This is what the word of God says. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And Lord, we praise you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. I am a fallen, frail, sinful man charged with giving the inerrant, inspired, infallible word that you have given. And I pray, Lord, as, as I do so, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified in our hearts, and that you would have your way in us today by your spirit, through your word. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat there. All you have to do is open your eyes and you will see that suffering is all around. Terror attacks, sex slavery, racial tension, world hunger, natural disasters, political upheaval, as well as private suffering and emotional prisons. And most of the time we are so busy with us that we do, do not notice at all until something wakes us up. Someone close to you dies. A couple you know gets divorced, a relative gets cancer. And we know that something is really, really wrong with the world. Many blame God. We have ourselves to blame. The Bible tells us it's due to sin. People don't want God in the picture. He gives them over to the desires of their heart, as Romans 1 tells us. Gives sinners their way, and evil runs amok. And we know that God uses evil for his glory and our good. One of the most profound truths in the universe is that God answers human suffering and comforts his chosen ones in the death of Christ. Christ suffered for us in our place, substituted himself in our place, took the punishment we deserved. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Several times this morning I'll refer to some verses in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 20 begins, What credit is it when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God's giving you a gift of grace. For to this you have been called because, and here's, here's the reason, Christ also suffered for you, 
leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. And then he explains Christ. He says, Christ committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And then the grand statement, he himself, Christ himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christ suffered for us. D.A. Carson said, when Christians think seriously about evil and suffering, one of the paramount reasons we are so sure God is to be trusted is because he sent his son to suffer truly on our behalf. Jesus Christ, the son who is to be worshipped as God, God's agent in creation, suffered an excruciating, odious, ignominious death. And the God on whom we rely knows what suffering is all about. Not merely in the way that God knows everything, but by experience. Christ knows what suffering is about by experience because Jesus suffered in our place. And what the believer finds is we also suffer with him. We suffer with Christ. Last time we saw that suffering with Christ concerns a group of people. A large group of people, an adopted church committed together to accept present sufferings with Christ and to anticipate future glory with Christ. We looked at the phrase in verse 17, provided we suffer with him. Provided we, the worldwide body of Christ gathered in local churches, suffer with him. And we were reminded what a church is. And just in case you think it's not that important, the Mormon church has just come out with a new rebranding idea, and they've done this about three times in the last hundred years or so, and no longer do they want you to call them Mormons, they want you to call them the church. Or your other option is the church of Jesus Christ. You need to beware of deception when it relates to the church. We found that a church is a regular gathering of believers. People who have placed their faith in the God of the Bible, in the Jesus revealed in Scripture, who has died for our sins in our place. And he was buried. And he rose on the third day. And he ascended to the Father. And he is returning. And you've placed your faith in Christ alone. Not your good works. Not your good efforts not even your feeble efforts, but you've placed yourself at the mercy of God. You have, as the Bible says, fled for refuge. Fled for refuge to God. You escape the wrath to come. You flee for refuge in Christ from the wrath to come. And you believe in Jesus with all your heart and you're, you're saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Acts 16.31. So it's a regular gathering of believers who are devoting themselves to the word of God. Like we are. The word of God is sufficient and authoritative and clear and reliable and essential. It is divinely decreed doctrine. And this 
regular gathering of believers in the Lord Jesus devotes themselves to the word of God and to administering and celebrating the ordinances. Baptism, your welcome to the family moment where you become one of many. The Lord's Supper where many become one remembering Jesus. And this church that regularly gathers, devoting themselves to the word of God and ministry and, and celebrating the, the ordinances, practices biblical discipline. Glorifying God and doing good towards each other by reconciling broken relationships. You don't want anything standing in the way of you and God and you and healthy relationships in the body of Christ. And this body, this church, is committed to one another in common life and in common mission, going in a, in a similar direction towards gospel truth and living it out and sharing it and this church is led by and following humble godly qualified servant shepherds the church the church corporately committed to christ and the individuals that comprise it verse 17 tells us suffers with christ we know there is regular human suffering we know there is suffering for God, but we know there is this suffering with Christ that is very specific. We are suffering with him. So we're going to look more today at what that means. What does it mean to suffer with Christ? As well as the phrase, the sufferings of this present time. That's what our main focus will be upon. You see, I want you to see the difference between the phrase, the sufferings of this present time, in verse 18, and the phrase, suffer with him, in verse 17. Look at verse 17. The first thing we saw there is that it begins provided since indeed we, the body of Christ, suffer with him. And the word, the words suffer with him are synonymous with the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. That Paul speaks about in Philippians 3. The fellowship of Christ's sufferings. The word for suffer here in verse 17, it's the Greek word sumpasko. It means to suffer with, to suffer with. It's related to words used for Christ's suffering on the cross. It's related to words used for the suffering, physical sufferings of Christ's apostles. And it is also the words that are used for the sufferings of all of Christ's subsequent followers. Where you follow Christ, you walk the path he walked, you, you, you receive the same kind of treatment he received. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And you suffer for your faith in Christ. So to suffer with Christ is talking about suffering for your faith in Christ. Revelation chapter 1 verses 2 and 9 call it suffering for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You suffer for the truth of the word of God that you believe. You suffer for your testimony of faith in Christ. And when you do that, you begin to enter into the depth of Christ's suffering for you, understanding that, that the gospel truth of Christ crucified, buried, risen, ascended and returning, and you, you come to appreciate and to grasp, to realize the depths of God's love for you in Christ. You understand it at a deeper level, Jesus' sufferings, and you realize that any figurative hell you go through, Jesus went through it literally. 
2 Timothy 3.12 tells us, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're still in 1 Peter, look at chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So you're doing good. You're very excited about doing good and pleasing God because you love Jesus and you want to do what God says. And it says, even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, literally for the sake of Christ, you will be blessed. It says, have no fear of them. We fear being persecuted. Have no fear of them. Don't be troubled. We're troubled in our hearts when suffering comes. But it says this, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Way too many times that verse gets applied this way. Well, you're sitting there in your office at your desk, you're sitting at your school in your desk, and someone comes up to you and says, wow, you're so joyful. What is their dif- what, what's the difference about you? And you tell them about Jesus. That's not the context of this verse. The context of this verse are people are coming at you accusing you, demanding you to give a reason for the hope that's within you so they can persecute you and mistreat you like, the, like people mistreated Jesus. Now move on with me to the phrase in verse 18, the sufferings of this present time. That'll be our focus here. He starts this way in verse 18. I consider, I reckon this, I regard this. It's very serious. He's He's very zeroed in on the sufferings. He says, I consider, I reckon, I I regard the sufferings of this present time. Now, the term sufferings is a bit different than suffer in verse 17. It's a different word. It's a much broader word. It's a much more holistic word, if you will. It's an all-encompassing term, sufferings. It's the Greek word pathema, and it means, it literally means a suffering or a passion. It's in the plural, it's the sufferings, the passions that that a believer has thrown at them, and it signifies the suffering in this life that a believer goes through. It signifies general and specific sufferings in this life as believers. It signifies what happens to you as a believer, the whole gamut. The whole spectrum, from human suffering to suffering for your faith in Christ. Everything that you experience as suffering in the Christian life. Again, from basic human suffering to suffering for your faith, this is sufferings as a Christian. So when you were born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your worldview changed. Everything got reoriented around Christ. Your life compass was calibrated to Christ and Scripture. You got new spiritual eyes, a new perspective where you see and think and act differently. Your life is seen through the lens of Scripture. And so you read 1 Peter 3.18. And it says, Christ suffered once for sin. That doesn't mean that Jesus' suffering was small because it was only once. It means that he died for sin once and doesn't have to keep dying for sin for us to be forgiven and secured forever. Christ died once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might, what? Bring us to God. 
reconcile us to himself. So it goes like this. You come to faith in Christ, you now have the opportunity to suffer with Christ and be comforted by him. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now, some of you may have heard a gospel invitation like this. Come to Christ and you'll be forgiven of all your sins. True. Come to faith in Christ and you will be assured eternity forever with God. True. Someone might have told you, though, as they were trying to sell this gospel story that come to Christ and everything's going to work out in your life. Come to Christ and you'll have less problems. Come to Christ and, and you will find it easier going in life. That's not true. Let me give you a gospel invitation today. Let's say you're not a Christian today. Let's say you're like, wow, I've been here for a long time and, and I come here and, and no one really knows that I'm really not a Christian and now it's too late. I, I, I'm just stuck. Oh no, it's not too late. Here's your gospel invitation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in his finished work. Believe in his death on the cross. Believe in his burial and resurrection and his ascension and his promised return. Believe in that. Don't trust in your own works. Don't trust in your own efforts to make yourself right with God. And, and then, here's your gospel invitation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be privileged to suffer with him. And be comforted by him. If that's you today, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus now. If you think that at Grace Church of Orange, we always seems to be shaking the tree to find out who's not a believer, we are. God knows. Only God knows. OGK, only God knows those who belong to him. And if you don't belong to Christ, you can belong to him now by faith in Christ. I want you to notice something in this verse too. Go back to the phrase, the sufferings of this present time. I want you to note something here. This is of great encouragement. This is of great assurance for a believer. They are the sufferings of this present time. That gives me a great assurance. See, the sufferings are temporary. The sufferings are time-bound. There is a time stamp on the sufferings. Unbelievers have no idea the suffering coming toward them in eternity due to God's wrath being upon them. They only know this life. And Psalm 37 talks about the, the wicked, the evil that just feel like everything's great and it, they're prospering. Psalm 49 talks about people who congratulate themselves while they live, but they have no fear of God. Talks about people who even name cities after themselves. And they're so happy with themselves. But Psalm 49, verse 12 and verse 20 says this, man in his pomp or his honor that he puts upon himself, yet without understanding is like the beasts that perish. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding is like the beasts that perish. I'm sorry about your dog. A Christian suffering only lasts this life. No suffering in the life to come. For a Christian, the sufferings of this present time, all the sufferings you encounter, basic human suffering, suffering for your faith in Christ, is a grace from God. 
It is a constant reminder of gospel realities. We talk about reminding ourselves of the gospel and preaching the gospel to ourselves, and I think most of us would love it if it, if it meant this. Well, I'm sitting in my hammock sipping lemonade on a really sunny day with a little breeze, and everything's okay. But what if you're sitting in your hammock on a nice sunny day with a little breeze with your lemonade, and the doctor has just told you you have two weeks to live? Or that you find out that your marriage is crumbling? Or you find out that someone you know has going through some deep problems and they're angry at you. That's when you need to preach the gospel to yourself. That's when you need to remind yourself that the, pre- the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. It's perspective. And, and there's this range of suffering, isn't there? There's a range of suffering from constant to intermittent to seemingly non-existent. We all are on, the sa- on a range, you know, if say, on a range of scale of 1 to 10, how are you suffering? Some people are going to go, I, I'm at a 10. Others will say, I'm at a 1. And maybe the person at a 1 is suffering more than the person at a 10. Because we have different pain thresholds. I remember when I was in high school, I was getting braces put on my teeth. And kids, you'll love this. Just be thankful this doesn't happen anymore. You know, now they just glue them onto your teeth, right? They give you a, a, like a mouth guard or something. Oh, no, not back then. They would take this big wooden mallet, and they would take the, the braces, the metal braces that were going to go around each tooth, and they would pound them onto your teeth. And I remember, this is very painful. And I remember the person putting those onto my teeth said, wow, you have a high pain threshold. I'm like, I'm dying over here. <laughs> I don't have a high pain threshold. I'm a wimp. Oh, no, you do better than most people. I'm like, oh. This hurts. Some people have a low threshold for pain. Some have a high threshold for pain. But all Christians go through suffering. Now, there's some people with hard hearts that that might not seem to be suffering. Okay? But if you're a real child of God, you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You obey the revealed word. You are part of a local church. And you suffer with Christ. Some do make a false claim of suffering. Okay? For example, if you suffer as a wrongdoer, that's on you, all right? If, if you rob a bank and get in trouble for it, don't blame Jesus. Your sins as a Christian are on Christ. He paid for your sins, but your earthbound consequences, they're felt. You can't trivialize it. You can't say, well, I have a spiritual hangnail, okay? There, there is the snowflake syndrome when it comes to suffering, but there's also the I'm steel and I can handle this myself syndrome in, stu- in suffering, don't be so worried about your comfort or your strength that you say either everything is suffering or isn't. Don't suffer for all the wrong reasons. Claim it to be a spiritual trophy because you make unwise decisions. Don't blame it on Jesus. But there are so many believers who are suffering for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, for their humble obedience to Christ, for their clear gospel testimony, for the pain that they have inflicted upon them as they live in an ungodly world. The Old Testament character Lot gets a a bit of grief. We don't think of him as the most godly biblical example, but when you look into 2 Peter chapter 2, what you notice is that Lot is called righteous, and it says that righteous Lot felt his righteous soul 
tormented day after day after day as he witnessed the error and the godlessness of unprincipled men. In your life as you suffer for the word of God and the testimony of Christ, just know that the more you long for heaven, the more your soul will suffer on earth. Um, the things that unbelievers barely blink at are going to cause you deep distress. Many of you can remember back to when you weren't a believer and you're like, I barely blinked at the stuff I did and now I'm mortified. Look again in 1 Peter. Look at chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, begin at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as far as you share Christ's sufferings. It goes on in verse 19 to say, those who suffer according to the will of God should entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Keep doing what God has called you to do in the midst of your suffering. Don't deny that you're suffering when you are suffering. There are people who say, well, I'm not suffering for Jesus. I haven't been beheaded or burned at the stake. No, you haven't. You're telling us about it. Only God knows. Sometimes we think that the testimony needs to be dramatic, that the suffering needs to be, you know, top-tier suffering. Well, how about the mundane testimony that says, I believe Jesus, and the suffering that's just ever so slightly under the surface and it's pretty constant and you can't tell everyone about it because you might, they might think that you're being wimpy or something like that. You know what I've noticed over and over again? Those that are mature in their faith, those that are maturing in their faith, often go through the worst suffering and they humbly receive it. And, and, I, and I wonder at them, I'm like, wow, God has given them such strength. You know, I'm a wimp when I go through this kind of stuff and look what they're going through far worse than me, and wow, look how they're bearing up under it. Most of us are a complex combo of all of these kind of responses to suffering. It's very easy for us to think that this is what the Christian life is like, and we think wrongly about the Christian life. We even feel less spiritual because we're not suffering the way some people are. We might even feel guilty. You might say, well, I'm living the good life, and I'm enjoying life, and I love life. I should feel guilty. Maybe you should, but maybe you shouldn't. Your feelings and your understanding of things don't dictate absolute truth. The way it should play is this. Don't deny suffering. Don't downplay suffering. Don't overplay suffering. Your perspective ought to be, today's sufferings are not worthy to be compared with tomorrow's glory. Most believers I know sincerely trust Christ while they suffer. But they will always wonder, we always wonder, how do I navigate this? I want to give you five takeaways regarding suffering based on these two verses we've been looking at and these two phrases we've been looking at. As we suffer in Christ's strength and for his glory, what should we remember? How should we operate? Five takeaways. Number one, Find your joy in Christ as you suffer this life. Find your joy in Christ as you suffer this life. The so-called health and wealth and prosperity teaching is not true to the gospel. The world is going to offer you temporary relief from problems and hardship. The gospel always includes the promise of suffering for Christ. 
See, that's the perspective builder of all perspective builders. Part of God's sanctification process to bring about the obedience of your faith. Remember the bookends of Romans, chapter 1 and chapter 16. The obedience of faith among all the nations. People coming to faith in Christ and humbly obeying Jesus as they walk through this life. If you're suffering for Christ, it proves you're on the way to glory. Don't bring it upon yourself. Accept it. And if you obey Jesus, suffering is going to come into your life. You want to be frightened if you're not suffering for your faith in Christ in any way. Remember this. God's blessings are perfectly timed. And the suffering that comes your way is also perfectly timed. And he uses suffering to teach you his word, to wean you from idols, to discipline you, to purify your faith, to increase your usefulness, and to prepare you for glory. Martyred missionary Jim Elliott said this, live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. You're suffering according to the will of God. Love Jesus and do as you please as you're suffering. Everything in life is a good gift from God to grow you in grace. You should be like a sponge. We should be like sponges soaking up water as we soak up the goodness God gives us in suffering. Most of us complain. I complain. You complain. But we, we can wallow in misery or we can relish the goodness of God in the midst. Just wring it out and immerse it again. Eke out every ounce of goodness you can from everything that comes your way. I think too often we're like an extension cord that gets all tangled up. And you think, maybe I should just get rid of this extension cord. We need God to strengthen us by straightening out our thinking so that we can be useful. Don't let suffering get the best of you. Suffering will only win if you don't treasure Christ above all. And I know that there are some people who will not take Jesus for an answer in life or in suffering. I love to meet people. I love to share the gospel with them. I love to give them the gospel in print. And when I go out of town, my friend David Paredes often will give me a packet of tracts, gospel pamphlets, to give away. Well, recently I was up in the San Bernardino Mountains, and I was about to go fishing all by myself. Me and my truck were parked in a parking lot with no one else around. And I was doing something in the truck beforehand. It was a hot day. I had the windows rolled up, the air conditioning on. I was either reading or tying a lure or something. And I was sitting in my truck, and all of a sudden, it's big rapping on the window. And I'm like, jump up. I, I'm easily, I'm, you can ask my family, I'm, I'm easily, um, you know, spooked. And I'm like, whoa. And I look, and literally there's a person with their face looking into my window. Roll down the window, I'm like, you frightened me. You startled me. They're like, well, uh, just want to get some info about the trails. I told them what I knew. And, and I said, but you startled me. And they're like, well, maybe there's something wrong with you. You need to realize you are God. I said, no, I am not God. Just ask my family. Just ask the church. I'm not God. They're like, oh, no, um, you're God. I'm like, I am not God. God is God. He's the one true God. He's revealed in the Bible. Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes, I got to the gospel very quick. They got a gospel pamphlet. But I kept saying, I disagree with you. I am not God. God is God. And they kept coming back and saying, you're God. Some people won't take Jesus for an answer. 
I'm like, God is God, his word is over all, and Jesus is Lord. But some people won't take Jesus for an answer in their suffering. They're like, I got this. He's our sufficiency. He's our adequacy. He's our hope. He's our refuge. Treasure Christ above all in your suffering. Second thing, second takeaway, foster unity in Christ's church, especially the local church you belong to. We want community as we suffer this life. And the challenge is keeping the community focused on Christ. It is so easy to let other things take center stage. It's easy for us to become cliquish or gossipy or petty or small and forget our gospel commission. We are co-laborers in, in Christ's vineyard. It is so easy to be selfish. It is so easy to care not for others. It is so easy to be self-seeking. But I want you to hear me really clear here. Please hear me clear. Do not be the one who breaks the unity. Don't be the one that breaks unity. Don't be guilty of causing other people to suffer. Don't be guilty of causing other people to stumble. Here's what Romans 16, verses 17 and 18 tell us. Very sobering words. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. They're saying they do, but their own appetites are being served. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So keep your eye on people who cause those kinds of divisions. And keep your eye on yourself. Paul said to Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Don't be the one that people are wary of due to gossip or backbiting or causing strife. If you're aware of sin or a broken relationship, Romans 12, 18 tells us, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. You want to live with a clear conscience before God and man. Do what it takes to make things right. And the reason you need to do this is because God's thoughts and opinions matter supremely. When you became a believer, you turned in your I'm right all the time card. A church committed to Christ, united in submitting to the total authority of Christ and scripture, has to fight very hard to ignore our own thoughts and our own opinions. God's thoughts and opinions via his word are the ones that matter most. His objective word. See, in the world, the loudest opinions are often the ones that win. In the church, God's opinion must win. His word rules. Here's how you, here's how you can make sure you don't make fellow Christians suffer. Practice true love. Practice honest hospitality. Practice clear, humble communication. No hidden messages. No gotchas. Practice sincere sharing with other believers. Bear one another's burdens. And have some sort of constant, continual contact with other believers. Don't let there be infighting these are, these are your brothers and sisters. You come together in mutual mission and encourage and bless each other and glorify God and enjoy him forever. Number three, 
Fight your fear of suffering with Christ-centered, obedient faith. Fight your fear of suffering with Christ-centered, obedient faith. We're all afraid of suffering. We need to armor up. We need to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need to take up the shield of faith and do the hardest things. Just recently, we were up in Kings Canyon, and I climbed a place called Buck Rock that I didn't want to climb. It was at 8,600 feet, 8,600 feet altitude. I didn't want to do it. There was like 170 stairs up a sketchy staircase. I mean, picture Dr. Seuss Tower on a rock with a winding stairway built on a huge pile of boulders. I did not want to go. I did not want to go. A couple years ago, we were in St. Louis, and I remember thinking to myself, do I have to go up into that big arch? And then I heard that one of my kids who doesn't like heights went in the big arch. I'm like, I'm going. I, I, I will hate it, but I'm going. I'm, I'm afraid of being in this little metal bucket going through the big arch. I don't want to do it. And I did it. And then I find out that that child that I thought went didn't go. <laughs> but back to Buck Rock. We go over like three miles of kidney punches on the road as we're rocking back and forth on a dirt road, and then we get to the rock. I didn't want to go, but I'm like, no, 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 I'm doing this. So literally, I'm trying to beat everyone in the family to the bottom of the stairs because I'm going up this before I talk myself out of it. And I go up, I do it, and then I didn't want to come back down because it was really steep on the way down. I asked the guy up in the, this is a fire a fire control, like a lookout station where they look all the way around and see if there's any fires. And I asked the person, am I supposed to go down the stairs forwards or backwards? Like, like seriously, I did not know. I'm like, seriously, I'm going to go down forwards? And it's like there's really little uh, uh, railings. I held onto those railings very tightly. They were smooth for a reason. But here's what you have to do as you suffer this life in Christ. you got to climb the sketchiest, steep suffering stairway that God puts in your path and it may lead you to ministry and surely to growth in grace but you've got to fight your fear by faith in Christ which is far far better than hiking this life alone without Christ let me remind you that unbelievers have no idea what awaits them in the day of their death when they must appear before God it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment but all who trust Christ, they know the holiness of God. They know there's a judgment day. They're not surprised when, when suffering comes their way that God is allowing them to suffer trials to purify them. God's mercy is heavy upon his children. Psalm 103, verse 17, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. You trust the Father as you suffer. You walk by faith, not by sight. Recently, I was hiking with one of my kids, and we decided to do an experiment. We said, okay, one person is going to close their eyes and walk. The other person is going to get behind them and speak them through the trail. And we did this. It was very disorienting at first, but my daughter's voice kept me on track. I went like a quarter of a mile through twisting turns and rough terrain, 
and, and her voice guided me all the way. I'm listening to her voice behind me. Isaiah 32 talks about this. Your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whether you turn to the right or to the left. Because in your suffering, God is near. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. His voice is his word. Psalm 119 says, it's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. How do you know you're really a Christian? How do you know? You're controlled by God. You're obeying him. You're crying out to God in dependence. You're confident in Christ and you're crushed with Christ. You're crushed with Christ. You're suffering with Christ. Number four, forget about yourself in suffering. That's the hardest thing in the world for us to do. You have to fight and argue with your flesh. God knows what we need. We need humbling. We need pain. We need to suffer through this life. Scottish theologian and pastor Samuel Rutherford wrote this. It cost Christ and all his followers sharp showers and hot sweats ere they went to the top of the mountain. But still, our soft nature would have heaven coming to our bedside in warm clothing. But all who came there found wet feet by the way and sharp showers that did take the hide off their faces and found twos and fros and ups and downs and many enemies by the way. Suffering is God's opportunity to you and I to wean us off of addiction to self. Forget about yourself. Remember Jesus in your suffering. He suffered. And he suffered long before he hung on the cross. He wept a friend's death. He wept over Jerusalem. He poured out compassion on the people. Just see what Christ suffered and then accept suffering and forget about yourself because suffering is God's primary vehicle of sanctification for us. We need to accept it. We would prefer it to be optional, but there is no shut-off button. There's no shut-off valve. We can't control it. It's probably helpful for us to see the distinction between justification being made right with God through faith in Christ, and sanctification, where we're growing in Christ and a holy life and we're participating in the process, but you won't get more saved through suffering. You don't get extra credit for eating proverbial, you know, spiritual broccoli, but suffering sanctifies us. The greatest suffering we experience is in relationships. We love and then we go through pain and we must endure it together. I, I, I really am thankful for the opportunity to process these things together in public preaching and private opportunities that God grants. We get to come here together and sing and pray and hear the word and then we get to interact life to life with friends in Christ throughout the week. In those personal times when, when what we hear from the word in group gatherings are able to be processed and applied and lived out with other, other trusted folks. See, as God grows you through suffering, consistent Christian community helps you forget about yourself. Last thing, number five. Finish the race with Christ in sight. Finish the race with Christ in sight. Like Philippians 3.14 says, I press on toward the goal for the call, high call of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Trust God's process. Job did. 
the guy who suffered so much, Job 23.10, he knows the way I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job trusted God's purpose in intense suffering. You know, Michelangelo took a rejected piece of marble and used a chisel to form David. He chipped away everything that wasn't David. You've got to yield to God's chisel in your life. He is using it to make you like Christ. The sufferings of this present time are only temporary for the Christian. One day believers are going to be freed from suffering. There's an end date on your suffering. It's momentary. But we want heaven at our bedside, don't we? And God gives you the grace of suffering to make you strong, to make you fit for heaven. There was a, a, a hill that I kept needing to hike up at Hume Lake this summer. I've gone up that hill many times. I either hiked it or biked it. And every time that hill makes me heave and suck air and sweat. But there is victory getting to the top. I was going up that hill one day this summer, and I was walking, hiking, and someone drove up and said, do you want to ride? And I said, no, I'm taking this hill. I'm taking this hill. Don't give up. Stay the course. Finish the race. Keep the faith. God knows what he's doing. The situation looks bleak. His plan is perfect, and it will result in his perfected bride fit for heaven. We are in the Lord's army. We are on God's team we are Christ's soldiers. Uh, we are on team never quit. Team never quit. In the football film, Facing the Giants, there's a scene where the coach has this leader uh, on the team named Brock who didn't support him. And he has Brock do this agonizing death crawl, blindfolded, with a 165-pound guy on his back for what he thinks is about 50 yards and ends up being the whole 100 yards of the football field. And this coach is urging him on the whole time, and he's screaming in his ear in the final yards as he's reaching for the goal, and he's saying, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. Jesus says, you're on my team, don't quit. It's on me. I'm carrying you. No one can see me, and you might feel blindfolded half the time. Walk by faith, not by sight. Trust me. Don't quit. Suffering throws you for a loop. Glory is yet to come. Relish the hope you have in Christ and dig in for the fight. Don't quit. Jesus has you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. In his perfect time. And Lord, we thank you for the joy we have in you, even as we suffer this life. We pray for grace to foster unity in your church. We pray, Lord, that we would fight our fear of suffering by faith and forget about ourselves. And finish the race with you in sight, knowing there is glory to be revealed. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.